Hey everyone, welcome to episode 80 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. I'm really excited for this week's guest, Chuck Kimmerly. He's an accomplished black and white photographer um, and he produces some absolute, absolutely stunning imagery. You guys got to check it out. Um, I can't wait for you to listen to his story about um, his diagnosis of MS and how that inspired him to take more meaningful photographs of the plains and prairies. Just stay tuned. It's a great episode. Um, Gotta give a special thanks and shout out to the producers of the podcast. Um, Those are people that uh, contribute at the $20 a month level or higher over on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash f-stop and listen. Uh, that would be Michael Howard, Jack Curran, Eric Stensland, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, and Charlotte Gibb. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Well, Chuck Kimmerly, thanks so much for taking the time to come on to F-Stop, collaborate, and listen. Uh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I um, I believe it was first... Uh, Colleen Minnick Sperry, who recommended you for the podcast, and um, I think she did a little intro email and uh, somehow twisted your arm and got you to to be one of my my victims. Well, Colleen and I dated for a few months uh, back in the seventies. So, oh, did she, you really? She, no, <laughs> no, we didn't. Oh, dude, you're gonna get me with so many of these deadpan jokes because I'm so gullible. It's ridiculous. Well, it makes it'll make it easier. No, she's she's a good friend mm. and a hell of a photographer. Yeah, she's she's really good and um, really inspirational as well. Um, and uh, I I'm ashamed to admit that I had never um, heard of you or seen your work before. She had recommended you, and um, I got to say, man, like you got some really cool stuff. Oh, thanks. I, I I tend to keep kind of a low profile, so right. most people don't know who I am. Which, do you like that? <laughs> you know, I can go shopping without people asking for my autograph. That That's kind of a nice part. You know, I don't have right. to George, George Clooney everything. But, <laughs> I, you know, it's, I think, you know, most landscape photographers are sort of, the really serious ones are, are a lot more low key. Uh huh. Yeah, they don't like to be in the the public public uh, image. They don't want to be. You know, they're all, a lot of them are very introverted um, and don't want to put themselves out there that way. Is that kind of how you would describe yourself too? Yeah, oh, I, I'm, I'm a definite definite introvert. Um, nice. You know, I'm I, I'm I'm when I'm presenting, um, talking to groups, I put on this, you know, really confident, um, um, you know, outgoing air, but it's all an act in, in real life. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a homebody. I'm quiet. I, you know, at a party with people, I don't know. I stand in a corner and just say, God, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Oh, that's funny. It's I, I think I'm one of the few landscape photographers that's actually an extrovert. <laughs> yeah, I don't most, know. I, yeah. Most of those most of those do um probably street photography. Oh right, right. Yeah, and I hate street photography, so uh, maybe I should get into it again though. <laughs> no, I don't like approaching people. I that's uh to take their photo. That's just awkward for me personally. Uh 
anyway. <laughs> well, it, it can be tough. I, I had to do that for a lot of years, and and you just it it, it kind of desensitizes you to rejection. Oh, so right. in a, it is a good it is a good thing to get used to. Right. So um, one of the things that um, I think is super interesting about uh, your work is a lot of it's um, a lot of it's around shooting in the plains and the prairies um, in you know South Dakota, uh, Wyoming, places like that. And I think um, a lot of us, when we think of photographing those that type of subject, uh, the first word that comes to my mind anyway is uh, challenging uh, just because, you know, there's not these grand scenic or huge mountains or whatever. So what is it about um, plains and prairies that you uh, find yourself drawn to as a photographer? Well, the first time I, I really approached it photographically is when I uh, got a job up in North Dakota at a newspaper and I drove in to um, eastern North Dakota, and it is one of the flattest spots in the entire country. And nice. I said, "Oh crap!" <laughs> because I, I, you know, it, it was it was actually at first a little disheartening, um, and it took me almost five years before I actually started photographing it seriously, because it takes a, a mindset that I didn't have at first. You know, you've got to be patient. You have to you know, look pretty hard. You can't be, uh, you know, a lazy landscape photographer in the plains because uh, you'll miss the subtlety and um, you'll miss the really small things that you, you're going to need to find in order to make it work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like um, me personally, I would just struggle trying to find interesting subjects, but then I look at your work and I'm like, oh, like it's just smaller and more nuanced and um, like you have these photos of, and I didn't even know they were called what you call them on your website, but it's basically those um, long stretches of trees that um, I think um, in the, in the prairies and the plains, people planted them in a direct response to like the dust bowl um, to kind of cut down the wind and things like that. Am I, does that, am I, sounding right there yeah that's exactly what it was um you know they were put up at um at the behest of the soil conservation service and and at one point in north dakota i think there were seventy thousand miles of tree rows or shelter belts we call them shelter belts yeah shelter belts but you know when when you're dealing with a, a you know a flat you know the the flat plains in an area where trees aren't natural it's you know, they're one of the first things I gravitated to because they're one of the most obvious things on a prairie. Anything vertical on a prairie is <laughs> right? kind of st- stands out. Yeah, I just have to say, like, um, those photos to me were, uh, they're just powerful. They're really well done. Um, they give, me personally, they give me a sense of, like, I don't know, like, they're, they tell a story, like, of, of being isolated but also protected. It's it's a super interesting subject um, that I, I I would think that wouldn't necessarily come naturally. I don't think it does come naturally. It, it, it they're all on first glance very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it takes you know a lot of study and and patience to be able to pull out as you said the new, little nuances of each individual one and you know i mean landscape photographers we we got to get lucky <laughs> right. you know the, the light the conditions the snow the rain the fog whatever we you know luck you know, is better than being good actually at times yeah <laughs> well I'll, hopefully someday I'll, I'll i'll learn that part of it um uh, as my luck is almost always terrible, although I have had a couple of lucky moments in the last year, but you're right. There's so much of it that's, that's, uh, based in luck. I feel like, um, I look at a lot of people's stuff and I'm like, man, you have way better luck than me. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, luck, the saying, you know, luck favors are prepared. Yes. But. You know, in order to be lucky, to take advantage, I guess is a better uh, term, to take advantage of being lucky, you've got to be ready. You've got to be in the right mindset and and kind of, you know, know the area you're in, understand it, relate to it. That's the important part. You have to be able to relate to your environment in order to take advantage of the luck. Yeah. So what is it about the prairies and prairies uh, that you can relate to? Um, I think the quietness, borderline loneliness, although I don't, I don't see it as much as other people do. I I think, you know, there's a fine line between being alone and being lonely. And that's kind of, for me, where the prairie and the plains are. Hmm. Um, there's a certain, especially in, in North Dakota and the agricultural parts of, of South Dakota and, um, and, and, and the other plain states. Um, there's like an order, um, you know, chaos has been tamed a little bit with farmer's plow. Things are in rows, um, you know, 90 degree angles. There's, um, a little bit more order than you would find, say in the middle of a forest. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I relate to that. I, I don't think I'm that way, but it might be the way I wish I were. Hmm. Um, what do you mean exactly? Well, you know, everyone wants their life to be calm and and orderly. Well, most people calm, orderly, um, kind of quiet. So um, it, it might just be me, you know, searching for, you know, my personal utopia. Well, and and now you live in New York, New York. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> I just I forgot about it for like 10 seconds. <laughs> so how has that transition been for you going from a place that resonates with you in terms of calm and peace to a place that is probably everything but? Yeah, there, there, there's not a quiet moment. Um, I can see a few dozen stars in the sky, you know, forget the Milky Way. Um, <laughs> it, the transition is still going on. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's not been easy, but you know, my wife is from Manhattan and she moved to North Dakota for me, which most people here think that's actually part of Canada. <laughs> so, you know, it's like North Dakota, isn't that like North of Winnipeg? So this was, it was kind of me, you know, paying her back, um, you know, doing, doing the good, the goodly husband, thing um and i photographically it's tough i haven't taken many pictures i'm i'm kind of 
maybe a little intimidated, uninspired. I haven't really found anything I relate to, but I know it'll come. Mm-hmm. You know, the worst the worst thing I can do is force it um, to go out with a camera and just start taking pictures. And I won't be happy with what I come up with. and It'll make me more frustrated. So I'm just, you know, taking my time. I know I will find something I relate to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a somewhat similar experience when I moved to uh, to Portland for two years. Like, it was hard for me because I had never lived in a big city before like that. And it was hard for me to want to get out and take photos because they're uh, but i don't know i found i found some nice stuff like at like a park that was not too far from my house so i feel like if you look for whatever it is that um, speaks to you you can probably find it anywhere yeah and and that's what i'm hanging my hat on but the other thing for me that's really important is i'm really easily distracted when i'm out working so I mean, I'll, I will be out taking pictures of Carl drive by. I'm like, that's it. Damn it. It's ruined. I'm done. I can't do it. I can't do it with all this distraction. So it's even worse when there are people. They don't even have to come up and talk to me. You know, just walking by within, say, three miles is enough to distract me. And I'm like, oh, great. So, at, you know, in a town of eight million people, you know, finding you know, my few hundred uh, square yards of, of um, being alone is going to be probably one of the larger challenges. Now, I don't have to stay here. You know, I can go out and photograph wherever I want, but I just, you know, I'm kind of the point. I really don't know where to go right now. I've only been out here myself permanently for about three weeks. So, it, so you're totally yeah, just I'll, running it right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm starting off very slow. You know, maybe I'll, you know, I know like within like five miles of here, I know that pretty well. Nice. (laughs) You got to start somewhere. Absolutely. Um, Well, one of the things that you talk about on your website, which I'm curious if this also plays into what we were talking about, is that uh, you like to focus on um, the area where man meets nature. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what it is about that um, coming together that uh, speaks to you from a photo- photography subject point of view. I mean, purely photographically, um, I like the way that that the the um, very organized, very geometric patterns of of what man creates sort of fits into the overall, you know, more fractal landscape natural landscape um so so visually you know there's a difference between what what things are what they look like that man makes and and what nature provides and i find that kind of fascinating but also i think it's you know it's kind of the norm i mean there's very little pure nature left if any Mm. you know the nature we have that is untouched is managed um, for the most part. So there is very little that isn't affected by man. Mm-hmm. And I think it's maybe my way of showing it, exploring it, trying to understand it. Yeah. Well, I, I really, um, you can really see what, what it is you're talking about when you look at your, um, uh, some of your photos. And, um, I think it's interesting how you've kind of, it, kind of that interplay between man and nature is, an interesting uh, subject, I think, especially 
uh, in black and white where you can really kind of focus in on the contrast between those two subjects. And uh, um, I did note that all of your photography is black and white. And I was curious as to why you've chosen that uh, way of expressing yourself. Well, to be fair, I, I do have one color picture. Okay. <laughs> it's a room with, it's a pink room with bright blue carpet and paneling. And, you know, it just, it, it's not going to translate into, into black and white. Um, I, I started off my career as a photographer in um, working in photojournalism newspapers. Uh, um, and then I followed that up working at a university for 10 years. And for the most part, that work was was mostly people and mostly colors. So starting off in black and white was um, sort of a, I, I guess maybe a little bit rebellious. It was a way to help keep photography fun. Mm. Um, it, it, it set a really delineated line between what I did for work and what I, I do for me. So there wasn't a, there, there was no overlap between the two, which is exactly the way I wanted it. Cause it was work Chuck on the left and play Chuck on the right. And they were like different beasts. Mm-hmm. It's, and, but I think over time, you know, that habit or that, that rebellious habit of shooting the black and white has really sort of, um, sort of, uh, transcended that and and now it's a passion it's really the only that's the way i see i really don't even notice um you know the colors that i'm photographing it but for the most part i'm I'm not photographing in areas that are very colorful anyways Mm -hmm. yeah the planes don't have a ton of color right (laughs) well and don't forget the amber waves of grain. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the, you, you'll get the green plants. Um, but, you know, green, yellow, blue sky is about it. You know, you'll get the red barn. But mm-hmm. how many times can you photograph a red barn? <laughs> um, but in black and white, I can make that barn light or dark or middle gray. I have a lot more options to work with a limited color palette that uh, is usually in front of me. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm curious, um, since your background is in photojournalism, how has your uh, training in in photojournalism and your work experience, uh, how has it affected your workflow for landscape photography, um, if at all? Um, Well, I I, I think that probably does play a part in in why, you know, I'm I'm so interested in in that junction between man and nature. I I think it, it... tells maybe a little bit uh, more of a story than one or the other. But uh, the first job I had for about eight years, we had to go out and we used to call it wild art. Um, And it was a random feature picture that we would find essentially to fill space. And we would have to find one or two of those a day and almost every day. So, it really taught me to look, to pay attention. Um, you know, a lot of times you we're driving around with a camera, we're, we're daydreaming, we're listening to the radio, we're singing, we're, mm-hmm. you know, having a conversation with the person next to us. We're not really looking, not really feeling what's around. And I think it really helped me to sort of focus in 
on what was around me to, you know, sort of develop a, almost a sixth sense that something might be up ahead or, you know, should I turn right here, go straight, turn left? <laughs> right. Um, I'm curious, has, uh, has photojournalism, uh, your background in that, has that uh, in, influenced your approach to post, post-processing at all? You know, it, it did at first, um, especially when I transitioned away from film and went to digital. I was, you know, I was one of these guys who wasn't going to do much to the picture at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, wanted to keep it pure. But, of course, I was never happy because post-processing is, you know, half of the whole process of being a creative photographer. Mm-hmm. So I, it didn't take me long to give that up. And it doesn't have really much to do with what I, I used to do in photojournalism anymore. You know, I've gotten away from the, the ethics of, um, of no cloning. Um, even though I don't do a lot, but if there's an errant stick in the way, it's, it's going to disappear like that. Right. And, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, why, if you got the power, why not use it? And I think that's the way I'm looking at it. It, you know, to artificially limit myself in, in, in production would, would just ruin the whole creative process, mm-hmm. stifle it at least. Sure. I mean, are there, um, are there any lines that you have chosen not to cross based on your background or based on personal ethic? Yes, I will never ever ever make a black and white picture and then keep a red rose in it um, <laughs> the selective color <laughs> oh god yeah um I, I, not so much i guess lines is as much as um you know things i just don't feel like doing i like to be true to the scene as much as i can because when i photograph it's like a relationship to me. When I was in photojournalism, uh, working at a um, at the university, I was always like the outlier, the outside guy, the guy with the camera. And there was what's behind the camera and what's in front of the camera, and they were totally separate. Um, with landscape images, the stuff I'm working on, um, I'm actually feel like I'm part of the scene. Hmm. So it it it's a much more inclusive thing. Mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i totally forgot your question uh it was it's <laughs> like do you have, have is there anything that you personally wouldn't do like any lines you wouldn't oh cross? yeah sorry i start to wax poetic and then I <laughs> daydream and uh and i'm off um so yeah i i i i have that relationship with the scene and because of that i try to be fairly honest with not not the scene itself but um you know my relationship with it the um what i what i was feeling at the time so every every scene gets treated you know there's different feeling um you know different subjects so everyone gets different treatment but you know i i like to kind of think i've got a style that people can recognize and I think over time, I've just developed a, a standard way of doing things. So it's not a purposeful decision not to overstep a line or to go farther. It is just kind of what I've developed as habit. Mm-hmm. 
So you're not you're not dropping in different skies or <laughs> stuff like that. No, it, it just. I mean, it's fine for other people. I don't have a problem with it. I I, I don't have anything against it. But for me, it would it would not be the image that I shot. It, it would not be the same thing. It'd, it'd be totally different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Than what I actually, <clears throat> you know, I used to do a lot of composites um, and I found it pretty unfulfilling, but I could never figure out why it wasn't. And then I kind of came to that s- similar conclusion that it was like, I was removing myself from the part of the equation that makes uh, creating that that photograph um, something that's personal based on your experience. Because if you're totally changing the experience, then it's not true to what you actually experienced in the first place. Yeah, it would be like having a discussion, a conversation with two or three other people. And then one of them just gets up and leaves in the middle of a conversation and a fourth guy comes in and has no idea what's going on. <laughs> right. You know, it, you know, it just sort of, it, you know, it's, it's not the same. Right. Yeah. And it, uh, I don't know, even if it's really, uh, well done, I always feel like people can tell when it's just not, it, there's something about it that's just not right. You know? I'm, you know, you always get the guys who will paste in the moon lit from the right when the sun is definitely on their left. <laughs> right. But, you know, they're, they're real obvious fakes. You know, you'll see a lot of. But, you know, the, I think there are a lot of people who do it really, really, really well. And, you know, my my basic philosophy is if you can see the technique, you've ruined the picture. Mm. You know, if you can see that you've pasted in a sky or you can see that, you know, all of a sudden you have three horses exactly the same, you know, and, and you, you've cloned it like that. It, it, it ruins it. All of a sudden you're taken out of this conversation with the image and you're just stuck on, on one or two things that, that are blatantly obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And it's, um. I don't know. I hear, I hear a lot of people say, well, it's just art. Let people create what they want. But I think it's, um, they're not, <clears throat> I don't know. I feel like they're kind of cheating themselves and they're cheating their viewers into wanting to believe in something that never existed to begin with. Well, I, I think if they're honest with themselves and with others, and even if they're not, um, I, I, I don't want to make judgments for other people, but whatever they do, their technique should be invisible. Mm-hmm. People should never be able to tell that they, you know, added a moon. So the moon is, you know, you, know, you can tell the image is shot with a wide angle lens, yet the moon is three inches across. <laughs> right. That's a, always a giveaway. A nice tell. So, but yeah, it, but I I want to be, you know, when I look at an image, uh, somebody else's photograph, I want to be transported. Right. Um, there. In, in in not not a cerebral sense, but you know more more with the soul. I, I want it to be more of an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And if I notice a technical abnormality, I think you know the brain comes into it. Then I start thinking instead of feeling. And for me, it ruins it. Right. No, I'm the same way. <laughs> uh, it took me a long time to get there, though. I I feel like um, I focused way more on technical for years, and probably just in the last couple of years, I've been thinking more and more about, like you said, like uh, feeling, a, feeling an image versus like thinking about an image. I think 
it's two very different skills for sure. But I, I think though that, that starting off or focusing for a long period of time on the technical side is part of the creative process. It, it's, it's an exploration. You're trying to figure out not only what you want to do, but what you can do, what are the limits of, of what you can do and, and what you feel right with doing. Mm -hmm. And, and then slowly you just sort of, you know, funnel down into, you know, ex and, and, and into a process that makes you happy. Um, well, shifting gears a little bit. Um, so one of the tidbits that you shared with me earlier that I thought would be interesting to talk about was, um, the fact that you have uh, multi, uh, MS. And I was curious as to um, how um, MS has impacted uh, your journey into photography. Yeah, and I, some people know I have it. Not a lot do, unlike, you know, these Hollywood stars when, you know, I got diagnosed with MS. Nobody, like, put me all over the news. I mean, I, I saw it on your Wikipedia page, so. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, Wikipedia, yeah. I still have to get that done for myself because nobody else will do it. Right, right. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm still working on some of the adjectives to describe myself before I actually post it. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, in, in 2006, you know, I, I had a really bad case of double vision. And I'm like, oh, it'll, it's fine. It'll go away. My wife's like, um, quit being a dumbass. So we went to the doctor and I got diagnosed. And to be honest, it wasn't a big surprise because when I was in the army in 82, it was brought up as a possible cause for um, some vision things I had going on there. So, you know, it's, I gotta tell you, it sucked, but you know, I'm really lucky, you know, um, it, it doesn't really affect me. I've only had, you know, one super debilitating thing happened and that was in 2006. Otherwise just a few annoyances here and there, but nothing debilitating, which, you know, knock wood. Um, but what it did though was sort of, sort of remind me, and I think we all need this, that, you know, time is short. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can say like, well, maybe I'll really focus on, on, on doing creative work later. You know, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, the old saying tomorrow never comes, you know, it's always today. And right about then is when I started actually, because I couldn't drive for a month, I would walk around, um, the town and I would just photograph different things, nothing great, nothing came out of it, but it was my way of just sort of trying to, you know, um, keep my mind off of it because mm -hmm. my vision was at the time was so bad that if I had both my eyes open, the vision was, you know, things were so cross that I would stumble. Wow. I actually got st stopped by a cop on my way to work once because he thought I was drunk and which I thought was pretty funny. Um, because I'm, I mean, I'm stumbling all over the place and I was doing it not really on purpose, but I was seeing how long I could walk straight. And apparently that was like three feet. <laughs> so that, you know, and, and I think that's part of the reason that, that, that I really started paying attention to the, the prairie landscape, especially I was in North Dakota at the time. Um, I think something kind of clicked and all of a sudden the subtlety 
that was all around me just became blatant. Um, so obvious things that I, I took for granted before I was cherishing, uh, at the time. Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I guess if you can call, uh, uh, you know, having a silver lining when you get diagnosed with MS is that it did sort of spark a, a creative path for me. What, um, what was your shooting process like before you had the realization that you had MS? Like, have you seen a change, a shift in kind of what you, what you focus on or what, what speaks to you? I wasn't doing a lot creatively because I really hadn't understood the, the, the Northern Plains very well. I, I was still sort of fighting the, the lack of grandeur. Mm. Um, but what, uh, a lot of what I did, the, the small things, um, the few were pretty cliche, mundane, um, there wasn't a lot of feeling. And I think that is the differences is, you know, uh, pre-diagnosis, most of my work was just created to be pretty, you know, to, you know, just to have something nice to look at. And, mm-hmm. and you know, post MS, I, I think I was really desiring a, a more personal connection with what I photographed. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted things that were more personal, um, that, that I, you know, things I could relate to. Yeah. One of the, um, one of the galleries that you have on your website is all about, um, how do I say this? Uh, basically skeletal remains of animals. Um, and, um, I thought that was super interesting. Uh, first of all, that you've been able to find that many, uh, remains. Um, what, what is it about that? a subject that draws you and 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 i'm wondering if kind of that's kind of what you're talking about is like having work that's more meaningful that isn't just about a a pretty place or a pretty picture because obviously pictures of dead animals isn't necessarily considered uh you know it's not a pretty subject (laughs) no it's not pretty but but i i think there's beauty in there um, and I think, you know, when I talk, yeah, yeah. you know, pretty and beauty, I think pretty is real shallow. Um, you know, the skin deep kind uh-huh. of thing where, you know, the beauty, I think, goes all the way to the soul. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, subconsciously, maybe, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, thinking of, um, you know, the final end. Um, you know, I'm in my 50s. I like to say mid fifties, but I'm lying. It's going to be late fifties. Um, <laughs> um, but they, you know, they say mid fifties is the, you know, it's a new mid thirties. I, yeah, no, right? no, it's not. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, there's a whole mortality thing. I think I could, you know, make a defensible argument for, but I, it's not really what I'm feeling. You know, to me, mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, kind of a, maybe an offshoot on the, the juxtaposition of, of man and nature, because most of the things that I find are um, the remains that hunters have left, you know, just, you know, mm-hmm. put it to the side of the road rather than dispose of, you know, with any sort of respect. And, you know, I, I think... 
in a way, I'm trying to show them maybe uh, one last little bit of dignity. Um, mm. Yeah, when I when I when I photograph the bones, you know, I do this a lot with other things too. I've done it with trees, you know, everything. But I sort of have little conversations with them, and and often are out loud. And I think it's, you know, I I try to relate to them that way, and I I think give you know, the life force that used to be there, maybe, you know, one last acknowledgement. Hmm. Um, I, I think that's brilliant. Um, one of the things that I'm curious about is um, how, what is your process? And maybe it's not a formal one, but what is your process for um, finding or creating work that is has more of a personal meaning to you? Oh God, a sixty-four million dollar question. Um, or one of them. There's like a whole bunch of them. Um, for me, it's it's. I think being honest, not forcing it, and and I force it a lot, and I know I'm forcing it when when I'm uh, photographing a subject for say twenty minutes, and then I stand there and I see pictures all around me. And I just start turning in a circle, going, "Wow, that's there, and that's there." And I realize that I've already, you know, kind of bored myself. It's tough. I mean, you, you want, you know, for me, I want to be honest and, and I try, you know, to respond to something. And I know I'm on something good when I get this visceral feeling, you know, where I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Um, and, I, you know, where, where you can't stop the car fast enough. You can't get the camera out fast enough. You're fumbling with everything. The damn tripod legs won't open and you're, you're hurrying, you know, and, and so fast and, and working so quickly because you're afraid it'll disappear before you get a chance to photograph it. And those are the things I'm, I'm actually looking for. I want that feeling. If I come across something and go, eh, that might be interesting. Yeah, maybe. Odds are it's not going to work because I'm one going into it with maybe a bit of the wrong attitude, but also, you know, it, you know, it might not be anything I really feel, but I'm, I'm, I'm maybe more hoping than reacting. And mm -hmm. I, I think for me too, I don't shoot a lot. You know, um, I may each year I only have at the most two or 300 pictures that I've saved that I've worked on. And, you know, part of my process is I don't photograph a lot. So what I do photograph, I think are, are things that I do for the most part, you know, have a, a bit of a connection with, and it's a bit more, you know, a bit less hoping and, and a bit more of a feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, the reason I ask because it's definitely something that I want to focus more on for myself is producing more work that it's has more personal meaning and has like a story behind it or that um, you know that isn't just a, like you said it's not just a pretty picture. You well, know? There are some people like Guy Tell and Michael Gordon. You know they have, and I envy these guys because you know Guy Tell. Um, you know, he photographs on a Colorado plateau and Michael Gordon, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, death Valley and, and, um, uh, dang it. I forget the name of the desert. Anyway, he's up, you know, he photographs the desert and, and 
I don't have a geographic location that, that I'm in love with. I mean, I love the plains, but that's the full whole middle part of the country. And so mm-hmm. for me, um, I have to, you know, find things I react to wherever. And it makes it a little harder to find things that I am, you know, really responsive to that, that really sort of, you know, makes me, makes me kind of gasp and go, Oh, that's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's just a matter of being, you know, true to yourself and, and, and know not what you want, but, you know, just know that you're there and hopefully something will come up. You know, it's very Zen-like for me. You know, it's it's a bit cliche to say, you know, photography is therapy. But for me, it's the only time in my life that I'm actually in the moment. You know, when, when I stop the car and grab the gear... Nothing else is on my mind. I'm not worried about politics. I'm not worried about uh, my personal life. Not that there's anything wrong with my personal life right now, but I'm not worried about any issues at all. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, I'm just laser focused on the task at hand, which is making a, making an image. So it's very much in the moment. And that, I don't think you can put a value on that. No, and I don't think you can necessarily um, prescribe a, a process by which you can make an image that has meaning other than to just put yourself out there and look for things that tell a story or that have have some kind of meaning to you. Right, but if you're just starting out, it's very difficult because you don't yeah. know you don't know what that means when someone says, you know, a scene has a, a, an emotional connection for you, they, you know, people don't understand that and they can't until they actually experience it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's tough to explain because a lot of people go, Oh, that's just silly. You know, let's just go to the Tetons and, and shoot the sunrise. You'll be fine. We'll put the barn in front of it and everything will be good. But I, I think if, you know, um, I think if you ever feel that, I don't think you ever forget it. You know, that connection with the scene. And then you come back and, and you're either in a dark room or you're at your computer and you are taking that raw image of that is, um, you know, it's flat, it's lifeless. It doesn't look very good. And and you're giving it life. You're, you're performing that creative process all over again. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like that feeling. And once you get it, you're, you're, you're going to be hooked. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely been a few moments um, in my in my photography that I've experienced those moments where you're like, oh, my God, this this I will never be able to reproduce this moment in time. Uh, like I can't even describe this to, to somebody else like that. But only a few times, like it hasn't been, it doesn't happen a lot, like you said. No, I mean, it, 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 the more intense ones are even more rare. Um, but you'll know it because you know you finish, and for me anyway, you know when I when I get a scene that that uh, I'm done with, I'm happy, I'm excited about. It's exhausting. 
you know, it's like I just played four quarters of football and for the most part, I'm done for a couple hours. Yeah. Um, because I'm just, I'm drained, you know, I'm, I'm mentally and emotionally drained and, you know, I just, I, I just have to like, you know, do a bit of a recharge before I can go back out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, t- I know exactly what you mean. I, I just recently, well, within the last month, I did like 13 days out in the field uh, shooting fall colors here in Colorado. And, um, you know, towards the end of that trip, like it was coming really hard for me to be excited about taking a photo. Like I was, I felt like my creative energies had all been spent. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. Why did um, four artists' residencies at national parks um, at Zion, North Cascades, Glacier, and Joshua Tree? And in every one of those, especially the first one in Zion, I'm like, I'm going to go and I'm going to spend every day and I'm going to be excited. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to stay out late. I'm going to work, 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 work. And you do that for like three days. And then you're like, oh, my God, I don't want to take the freaking camera out again. <laughs> you know, so maybe you go out in the evening, the next day you take a morning, then you start taking longer, then, you know, take some breaks. And then about, and each of these was uh, about four weeks. Uh-huh. So then in the middle, at about the two week mark, you start to realize that um, one time is short, but that you've also gained um, some energy, you know, that. You know, um, you've gotten into the rhythm and it's a hard rhythm when you're on a longer project like that, you know, like nine days out alone, you know, working, photographing that that's tough to just focus on photography. It's really tough. You you need breaks and it's natural to get bored. I mean, I, I don't, I used to get really annoyed with myself if I was bored photographing, but I don't anymore because I realize it's part of the process. You can't be on 24 hours a day right yeah it's exhausting and i don't know like the longer you're out like the less creative you feel at least for me i need need, like you said i need a break like go drink some beers or something (laughs) because everything is all the creative juice has just been spent (laughs) you know I, i i think part of it is it's hard to be creative all the time because your your perspective gets skewed. You need to, that downtime, you know, the re- time to relax, to drink beer in excess. But no, not excess. Just like two, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you need that time to sort of get down to the foundation of life and then say, okay, you know, now we can go back out. I'm relaxed. I'm calm. And... And you can look forward to the creative pursuit. And it should be something we look forward to as, as opposed to something that we expect every day. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like if only good things happen to you, all of a sudden, all these good things aren't good anymore. They're just average. Right. <laughs> that's a good point. That, I mean, that's what happens too. Like you'll see a really amazing sunset or sunrise or whatever. And then, and then everything that just gets compared to that one moment. And then uh, oftentimes I feel like you start missing out on on scenes that are just as good. They're just not as in your face. 
But imagine seeing that same amazing sunrise like 30 days in a row. Right. All of a sudden, it's not an amazing sunrise anymore. It's just a normal sunrise. Right. And that's what I think that's what happens if we try to be creative for too long without coming down to, to normal life is, you know, um, we stop paying attention to things that might be amazing because we've, you know, we've been looking at that stuff for too long. Mm hmm. So, you know, if we take a step back for, for a day or two and all of a sudden, you know, we can re-energize, recharge, and and then the things that, that we find interesting are interesting again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the things that you had mentioned was that uh, you were planning on uh, taking, I think, probably a couple of months to hike the entire Appalachian Trail. I'm curious, are you still planning to do that and what... Is it about the AT that uh, has you inspired to go try that? Well, now that you've told everybody, I kind of have to do it now, don't I? <laughs> well, we could always edit this uh, part out if you're like, yeah, I changed my mind. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah. No, yeah, the, the the move to New York has, has just put things a little more uncertain than they were because this uh, AT trip predated any... any um, any thought of moving to the East coast, but right now it's still on track. Um, and I, I think, you know, getting back to what we just talked about, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, I, I think maybe, you know, a, a break from photography, from the everyday life while I'm still healthy. Now that's another big, big consideration. I think it's something I'm sort of looking forward to. Hmm. Um, people ask me, you know, what camera are you going to bring? And my answer is I'm not. Really? You know, well, you know, you get only five or six months to hike the trail before the northern terminus closes uh, for the season. And if I photographed, if I brought a camera, <laughs> seriously photographed, in six months, I wouldn't get any more than like eight miles. <laughs> right. Saying the guy, I'm setting up camp waiting for sunrise, you know. Um, so I really just want to focus on on like a simple life, um, down to the basics, you know. Um, your food, water, shelter. Yeah, that's all. That's all there is, and that is what I think is really gonna like just help me move forward in in my advanced middle age. And part of that, you know, have with the MS is, again, you know, it's it's a weird disease because it affects everyone differently. And one day you're fine, and the next day you're like, crap, why are there three of everything? <laughs> All right. You know, or 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 worse yet, you know, um, you know, you get a leg that doesn't work real well, or an arm, or um, you know, you start to get some physical impairment. Now, is that going to happen to me? Absolutely not. And to me, denial is the best medicine. If I believe it won't happen, it won't happen. Hmm. So, so um, you know, that, that that's part of the emphasis of going is, you know, just to, I've always wanted to. I've wanted to do it for years. Um, you know, we have the opportunity and... And I think that now might be the time to take it. Yeah. And I'm going to come out of this a totally different person. And, you know, because of that, 
you know, my photography will have changed as well. Hmm. Is that one of the goals that you have is to have a different perspective on what um, you might find interesting in, in a creative sense? Indirectly, uh -huh. that probably is it. Um, at least that's what I'm expecting will happen, but it's not the reason. No. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, my buddy and I are thinking about doing the long trail next year, which is like those, it's like part of the AT. It's the state of Vermont, basically. Um, but I definitely will bring a camera, but I will probably have the same challenge you will. Like if I was by myself and didn't have an accountability partner, like I would make it like 20 miles total or something. <laughs> it, you know, and it's weird because you're out doing a photograph. You're like, okay, well, that's 15 minutes. But it was like an hour and a half. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I, that that's one of the reasons I'm just probably won't bring a camera. I'll have my phone, you know, and I will take, I don't know how many thousands of selfies. There you go. You got to do it for the, you know. do it for the gram. Uh, I have to prove I was out. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, cool, man. So I got two more, uh, questions, uh, for you. Uh, the first question is, uh, based on the name of the podcast, F stop, collaborate and listen, what advice do you have for other photographers? <sighs> Basically be true to yourself. Um, you know, photography is not a competition. We don't have to take a better picture than the guy next to us because what they create is immaterial to what we should be creating. Um, you know, avoid, avoid things you know are going to be great pictures. You'll hear people say all the time, you know, I want to go here. This is on my bucket list. And that's fine, but I think what they mean is going here is on my bucket list and these are the pictures I want. And, you know, visiting a place is great, but we have to do it with an open mind. Um, I, we shouldn't visit places with expectations, especially with expectations of particular images mm -hmm. because then we're not being true to ourselves. We're not actually being creative. We're creating pretty pictures, but you know, we, we're, we're copying what other people have done as, as opposed to discovery. And I think, you know, that's the strength of photography. That's the, that's the most fun of photography is discovery, finding something all by yourself, not a pull out in front of like five waterfalls in Iceland that everybody photographs. Right. <laughs> Even though I would love to go to Iceland someday, but you know, you can only see so many pictures of some of these unpronounceable waterfalls. Uh, they're they're pronounceable. It's fun. <laughs> I don't know if I well, I'm I don't sure know if I do it correctly, but it's fun trying. I, I went there in March and we we had a bunch of running jokes on different waterfall names and stuff like that. It was pretty fun. <laughs> we were just called like well, yeah, Goofy it, Foss instead of like the actual name, which we could never pronounce. <laughs> No, because there aren't a proper ratio of vowels to consonants. Yes, exactly. I look at these names. I'm like, wow, okay, right? Like, you know, I know, the, I know the people who live there. I don't know. Maybe, maybe people from like Iceland come here and go, 
Mississippi, Mississippi. That's such a hard name to pronounce that river. <laughs> they probably just think our language is boring. <laughs> it is. Because their language is, um, it's actually like, it makes a ton of sense. Like it's all just um, like different words for different things. And then you just mash them together. Well, that's kind of what any language is. Different words for different things. Yeah. But I mean, like the name, like some of the words, it's like, you take like three or four words and then you put them together and then you created, created that, the name of that thing. Um, anyway. Uh, no, I like what you said because, um, when I went to Iceland, um, I didn't have any expectations of any photos or of, of images that I wanted to get. Um, I did that on purpose. Um, I didn't study anything before I left and it made it just such a, so much more of a fun experience for me to like discover places and, and, and see them and, and shoot them the way that they spoke to me. And it, 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 uh, like you said, it's it's so fun to, to to approach photography that way. I think it's so much more satisfying. Well, it's it's, it's a personal journey, you know. Um, that's why I'm not a big fan of photo guidebooks because I think uh, people rely on them too much. It's not the books per se, but I think people treat them sort of as as like instruction manuals right on how to do something as opposed to color by numbers um, (laughs) yeah color by number as opposed to giving you an idea that you can you know uh, you know advance from right so you know and and hopefully you know if uh you know if people are are true to themselves and 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 spend you know i think more time trying to you know, I like to say with my photographs, especially in an exhibit, um, in, in book that, you know, if you, if you look at the whole thing, it's like a diary. And I think you can tell a lot about me from looking at, at, at a group of pictures. Hmm. And I'd like everybody to be able to say that about their own work. Hmm. Man, I wonder what my work says about me. <laughs> he likes pretty pictures. Womp womp. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, it doesn't matter what you think. Right. <laughs> uh, well, so who do you think would be cool to uh, hear on the podcast? You know, I, one of my friends, um, Arthur Ransom, he's a black and white photographer, just coincidentally. Uh, I'm not recommending him for that. But he has got like this um, really amazing way of thinking and talking about photography he's uh very much you know um i don't want to say an intellectual because that has a bad connotation but he can think about photography in very abstract ways that i think a lot of people have trouble with and he's very good explaining it where i am not Hmm. and you know he's british he's got a very cool accent um and and it would really spice things up yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of uh of the accent myself. <laughs> yeah, I would imitate it, but yeah, it would we wouldn't be friends anymore and Arthur would never do it. Yeah, you don't want me to imitate it either cuz um yeah, it's I'm pretty I'm pretty bad at imitating that particular accent. <laughs> 
Maybe after a couple of those beers you had in between photo gigs. Absolutely. That that is kind of I do. That is when I do. Uh, well, my problem is with when I do accents, I like can't keep them separate. So I'll do like a Australian, British, Italian accent all in the same sentence because I just can't separate them. <laughs> and my wife which, loves which, to make fun of me for it. Which is why you're not an actor. Exactly. I wouldn't be a yeah, very gr- good one. Uh, growing up in, not, in Minnesota and spending so much time in North Dakota, I can do a really good, you know, Fargo kind of accent, but that's really about it. <laughs> right. Although I'm starting to get pretty good about the whole like Staten Island accent thing. Oh, yeah. I'll get there. <laughs> Forget about it. Yeah, it's a, how are you? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, that's, how the, that's how everyone here says hello. Hi, how are you? Right. Hi, how are you? Well, I'm fine, sir. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> hello. Awesome. Well, man, Chuck, it's been really fun having you on the podcast. And um, keep up the good work. I really enjoy your images and what you're creating. And uh, can't see, can't wait to see what you're able to do in the city of New York. Um, that makes two of us. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it will, it will come. You know, I, I've actually, I was out walking in the rain. We had a nor'easter here, so oh, yeah. I decided I've, I've never been in a nor'easter. It's just a storm when the wind blows from the northeast. Big deal. We have them all over the place. But you know, I was walking along the shore and I'm looking at stuff, going, "Okay, maybe, maybe." Maybe might be a bit cliche at first, but you know, I'll start somewhere. Right. No, you'll, you'll find it. You'll find some stuff. I'm, I'm sure it'll just take a minute, but um, keep your eye open and I'm, I'm sure you'll find something that'll speak to you. It will. It will. But if I force it, it just, it, it just, it's going to be worse. So right. 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 Baby. I like to tell people baby steps. Right. Or you could just take a macro lens out and look for interesting things in the city, I guess. Something like that. But that's probably forcing um, it. Yeah, because what I want to do is go into New York and my hands and knees and photograph on the sidewalk as people walk by. <laughs> no, I don't th- I don't think I'll do that. Yeah, I don't see that I working out I... so well for you. <laughs> well, maybe I'll put a little cup out and people can drop quarters in as I'm working. There you go. Yeah. You probably make more money doing that than actually being a photographer. Huh. <laughs> well, thanks, to Chuck, for uh, taking the time to visit with us on the podcast. I had a great time talking to you, Chuck, so thanks so much. Um, check out the liner notes on my website at www.mattpainphotography.com. You can see some examples of Chuck's amazing photography and links to some of the topics we discussed. So check it out. Um, Once again, thank you to everyone who's written a review about the podcast on iTunes. Um, It really does help get the word out about the podcast. So thank you all. You are awesome. Uh, Thanks to Jason Matias, who was last week's guest, uh, for his awesome five-star review of the podcast on iTunes. Um, I'm also ever so thankful for the generous support that you guys are giving me on patreon i'm doing this podcast for you the community and uh, the support you're providing on patreon is super appreciated um, getting closer and closer to my thousand dollar conservation award goal 
Um, you too can support the show by visiting patreon.com slash fstop and listen. Um, speaking of which, the bonus content this week is all about Chuck's experience being a college professor in photography. So check that out. Um, thanks to our newest patrons, uh, Monty Trumbull and Michael Wellman. Your support is appreciated. Uh, if you want to drop me a line about the podcast with uh, suggestions, ideas, really anything, I love to hear from, from people that listen to the podcast, reach out to me via my website at mattpainphotography.com or on social media, Twitter, Instagram, mattpainphoto, mattpainphotography, or search for F-Stop, collaborate, and listen. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>